All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Grease the Wheels. It's your automotive technician speaking guru, your Uncle Jimmy here at the Rock and Roll Garage, putting together some tips, some tricks, some hints, some information, and maybe some humor to help you get you through your day and help you enjoy what you do, maybe, or maybe make it seem like it's worthwhile to you. I'm not sure anybody could do that, but if anybody can, I'll give it a shot, okay? I want to tell you about something spectacular that's happening here at Grease the Wheels. We now have an official tool dealer for Grease the Wheels. So if you're out there in a nation and you're a tool junkie, and I know you are, I want you to know that KB Tools is awesome, okay? They have loads of brands and categories. Snap-on tools. Mac and Matco and, and Cornwell all on a site that is super easy to use. It's really nice, okay? So get yourself over there and get a look at it. You know what else too? They have fast and high quality shipping. You know, that's important when you wanna get back to work, okay? You don't wanna waste a lot of time and you definitely don't wanna waste a lot of money. That's what KB Tools is all about. Because the guy who runs it is a guy named Brad and he is the man. So they're fast, they're inexpensive and great quality. Yeah, you're not gonna do any better than that, okay? So what you want to do is get yourself over to their site or you know what else you could do? You could go see it on their Facebook page because they're adding new stuff all the time and the Facebook page will help you keep up with what they've got that's new, okay? So get yourself over to KB Tools, the site, or get over to their Facebook page. And so here's a shout out to our first official tool dealer, KB Tools. I want to talk to you today, you car fixing mofos. I want to talk to you today about the DIYers out there. Now you're not DIYers anymore, and neither am I, but we we used to be. That's pretty typical of how we got into this business. We started doing it ourselves. And if you have any kind of age on you, like I do, you may very well remember when cars were actually easy and fun to work on. Uh, what I'm talking about is cars generally from the 80s and older, where you could actually have just a regular average amount of intelligence and effectively work on your car and make it run better and do maintenance required to it. Uh, it didn't require a, a, a degree from an automotive school. It didn't require specialized tools. It didn't require repair instructions that were 18 to 20 pages long. And you were able to get the job done and have a sense of accomplishment and make your car run better. But I'm afraid, gentlemen and ladies, if you're listening, I'm afraid that those days are long fucking gone. Since about 1980 and, and even more so since about 1995, cars have become extraordinarily difficult for non-trained personnel to work on. You're regular do-it-yourselfers, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that they're not out there trying. They are. And some of them can get the job done. Probably some of them could very easily be technicians themselves and uh, could probably pull a toolbox into a shop and start working right next to you. But I think that that's very few and far between, especially when you consider in the uh, old days, and we'll, I'll just use that term, the old days, when you could you know, effectively work on a car with a 9 16th wrench, a pair of pliers, maybe a screwdriver, and maybe even just your freaking hands. I mean, for Christ's sakes, just about every car built before 1980, you could actually undo a wing nut, you know, just spin it loose with your fingers, 
pull a metal air cleaner lid off and change the air filter. I mean, your mom could do it. Uh, not that your mom's not smart, but it was something that was simple enough that you didn't have to worry whether or not your mom could actually do it. She could do it. Anybody could do it. And everybody did do it. And so we needed air filters back in the 60s and the 70s and maybe even before that, you know, when they started using paper element air filters instead of oil bath air cleaners, uh, which is a whole nother deal that you don't want your mom or anybody, including yourself, to mess with. Uh, you used to be able to change that air filter in about 10, 15 seconds flat and do it correctly every time. I mean, literally Forrest Gump could have done it. You know, I mean, people with one hand could do it. I mean, it's not, it wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult at all. There were several other uh, uh, things that went on in, in automobiles that were you were able to effectively do with just a modicum of intelligence, you know, so things such as a thermostat, you could put one of them in. Radiator hoses, sure, you could screw those on. Uh, you know, it wasn't too tough. Belts, belts were easier to change. Uh, spark plugs, way easier to change. Spark plug wires, lots of cars back in those days had spark plug wires. They'd go bad. Uh, that's really something that I don't personally miss uh, very much at all. Uh, spark plug wires were kind of a pain in the ass to deal with. Uh, there was different qualities of them. Some of them were good and some of them were bad right out of the box. And uh, they went bad over time. Heat kicked the shit out of them and, uh, you know, laying on stuff that's metal and rubbing around every time you rev the engine, that, that didn't help them at all. So, And distributor caps and rotors, easy as shit to change them. Easy, easy, easy. Like here again, your mom or your girlfriend could probably do it. Somebody who's not skilled with mechanical things at all. So they could get away with it. You know, if they have a little bit, of, a little bit of manual dexterity, a little bit of intelligence, they could get it done. It wasn't that tough. Uh, changing points. That's something that cars used to have. Changing points wasn't all that rough. Getting them adjusted. That was kind of the hard part. I mean, there was some tricks that people used to do the matchbook trick on them, or, you know, if they owned a dwell meter, which I do, they could set them that way. That was the correct way to do it. So, you know, you used to be able to work on your car. That's what fostered the DIY movement that used to be prevalent in the United States, but, uh, or, in, you know, throughout the world. But it's just, it's just not happening anymore. And I don't care how many times that these people come on your TV set, you know, these uh, jackasses in the red shirts, and uh, tell you that you can work on your own car. Um, well, yeah, you could. You could. You could also do uh, brain surgery on yourself or your family members. You could also practice dentistry on yourself or your family members. You could, uh, you could even do autopsies on them because if you do do brain surgery on them, you're probably going to kill them. And so you may, you may, you may want to brush up on your autopsy skills. And, and you know what? Honestly, you know, if you're going to try to do something at home, and you're not qualified to do it, you're going to end up with the same results. Dead family members. And I mean it. The scariest shit that goes on out there is when DIYers try to work on brakes. Because everyone in the world will tell you that brakes are easy. And you know what? They can be easy. If you know what you're, if you have an, an inkling as to what you're doing. Where's that fucking prick who told you that you could do it? When guess what? He had no idea who the fuck he was saying that to. So if you're listening to this and you're not a professional technician and you plan on doing your brakes yourself, um, the only thing I can tell you is research what you're up to. Make sure you get it right because the car that's in front of you might be fucking mine. And I don't want you running into the back of mine because you can't stop. I don't want you running into the back of anything because you can't stop. I don't want you running into the back of a Mack truck or a bulldozer 
or a jogger or somebody on a bicycle or a lady with a stroller. I don't want to see that shit, okay? Let's let's not endanger people. Let's let the pros do the job, okay? Now, I get it. I get it. You want to save money. And, and I understand that completely. And repairs seem just out of control as far as cost. I get it. I haven't had to pay anybody to work on my cars in a real long time. And if I did, I would probably throw up blood. I just, because it's so expensive. It, it is. It's, just, it's expensive. And, you know, you, you can point to a mechanic, somebody like me, and say, well, you're the reason it's expensive. They go, no, guess what? I'm not the reason it's expensive because when you come to get your car after I fix it, you're not giving me the fucking money. Okay? So you can just change your, you can just pull your head out of your ass and, and adjust your opinion of what the hell is going on here. You're giving my boss money. You're paying $150 an hour for, for labor. I ain't fucking getting that money. I understand that you don't want to pay or that you'd like to pay a lot less or you'd like to pay a more reasonable price. That makes sense, okay? But because you have to pay a lot to get it done professionally, don't blame me. Don't blame the guys who listen to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not a technician, don't fucking blame us, okay? And guys, if you're the technicians and a customer starts to give you shit about how much repairs cost, you tell them to fuck right off, okay? Because you're not getting that money. Because if you were getting that money, first off, you'd probably ask them for a hell of a lot less. And even though you asked them for a hell of a lot less, and you got a hell of a lot less than they paid your boss or the shop owner or whoever gets paid, you'd still get paid more than you actually do get paid. So there's that. There's the reason for the DIYers because these people who don't even touch the cars and these people who don't even talk to the people who own the cars are getting the money. And uh, I know if we, this is a subject that I have beaten to death like, like a thousand times before, but it's the reason that the whole DIYer market exists out there. It's the reason why when you roll into an auto zone and you don't know what you're doing, they try to help you as much as they can because they know you want to try to save money, but you're going to be spending money there. So that works for them. But let's, let's be realistic with ourselves. Uh, if we've got friends who are trying to work on a car, maybe, maybe if they're friends, if they're, if you're a true friend, if they're true friends, maybe you just want to go over and supervise. I'd hate to have to go to a funeral because I was too lazy to go over to a guy's house and say, oh yeah, you're doing that all fucking wrong. Okay. Cause believe me, I could, I could sit there and tell the guy's doing it wrong all day long. And if it keeps me from having to go to a funeral, I'd be real happy to do that, okay? Uh, the, other, the other problem I have with DIYers is that they have a tendency to fuck a lot of shit up. And what I mean when I say that is that uh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the proper procedures. They don't know the proper torque. They don't know that this wire goes there, that wire goes there. They don't have the schematics in front of them. Uh, they probably couldn't even spell schematics if they even knew what a schematic was. Uh, one, of the things, one of the other things that DIYers do is they'll try to change a part in a car and they'll actually change the wrong fucking part. It happens. Uh, they'll be like, oh, I thought that that was the thermostat. No, that that's the tank fuel tank vent valve. And now you've put coolant into your gas tank. That's real sharp. Thank you very much. Um, it's going to be like thousands of dollars to get the, get the fucking ethyl glycol out of your gas tank. There's There really is an enormous amount of damage that a DIYer could do to a car by making a simple, simple mistake. And I know this because as a professional, sometimes we make those mistakes and we either have to eat apart or we have to 
scramble like bastards to get something fixed correctly where we fucked up. It happens. And uh, and I'm sorry if I'm letting the cat out of the bag on you here. (laughs) It happens. We we make mistakes all the time. Uh, Those of us that are smart enough to learn from them, we don't mind admitting it, you know, that, but that's not really what this is about. A lot of mistakes that a DIYer may will make or would make or could make are ones that we've already made or we've already seen somebody else make and we know better. There's that. And there's the reason for being a professional and doing the job for somebody. And and I apologize. Honestly, it is not a, a technician's fault at all how much auto repairs cost. So if you're, you know, looking for somebody to blame, got to look somewhere else. Okay. If you work on your car, there's a few things you, you should know. Okay. Uh, now, I uh, bought a brand new truck in the 90s and wanted to work on it myself. I wanted to do all of my maintenance. I wanted to do all of my repairs. So I went out and I bought the official General Motors, because I'm a GM guy, General Motors sponsored service manual for it. And I'm not talking about an owner's manual. You can fucking throw those things away. Nobody reads them anyway. I'm talking about a service manual. And so what this was was uh, two volumes that were uh, phone book-like. And uh, if you've never seen a phone book, just to, I mean, well, because I, I know some of you are too young to know what a phone book looks like. It's a really fucking thick book that contains every piece of information you could possibly ever need to know about that vehicle and any other vehicle that was built in the same assembly plant typically. Then I bought another truck in the 2000s, you know, 2000 to 2010. I bought another one, bought the same manual for that too. Only this time, that was three books, three big, enormous telephone book sized service manuals for one vehicle. Three, three. And there was information in there that I had never seen before. But if I needed it, there it was. You know, and the beauty thing is when you're buying this, because this is the manuals, these were the same manuals. They were expensive. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. They were expensive. I think that the ones I bought for that vehicle were right around $125 for these three books. And uh, they were extraordinarily comprehensive. Okay. These were the same books they sent to the dealer for the dealer technicians to use. And this was before computers really became uh, the be-all, the end-all for getting your information. This was before the Google and, uh, you know, Internet Explorer and all that shit. You needed to look up specifications and how-tos and repair instructions as they were listed in these service manuals. And because General Motors is this big, wieldy giant of a corporation and shit changes really, really slowly there and sometimes never, I bought a truck. Uh, more recently, which was, uh, you know, uh, well, five years ago, it's five, six years ago now. And that vehicle, I bought the service manual for that vehicle. And that was four books, four separate, enormous fucking manuals for that book. And here again, everything you could possibly ever need to know. And uh, they don't, they don't fuck around. These books are very, like I said before, they're very comprehensive. They, they show you everything. I show you where something is, what the circuit looks like, what you should see when you uh, ohm this circuit or ohm another circuit. They, it's it's astounding. Everything is everything is in there. Detailed drawings of what shit should look like, uh, how to adjust this, that, and the other thing. Everything. And I bought it for that. And that one was a little obviously. It's because four books was a little more expensive. I think it was closer to two hundred dollars for that set of books. 
But whenever I have a problem with that truck, I know right where to turn. I don't have to go on forums and listen to some idiot tell me some shit that he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Um, I have the information right in front of me. I don't need to uh, count on people who are talking out their ass, okay? Uh, And that's one of the other problems that I find with DIYers, okay? And you guys know this. They don't know what the hell they're talking about, but if they accidentally get a job done right, they are suddenly a fucking expert. Suddenly they're a fucking expert. And I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works because I work on one make of cars and I have for the last 15 years, and I'm not an expert on any of them. I've worked on, shit, probably 2,500 cars in a 15-year career. That may be low even. You would think that I would know everything about them. You'd be wrong because there were some systems that were that never failed. They were foolproof for the most part, and I never had to do anything to them. And because of where I worked, certain systems went bad there as opposed to different parts of the country with different climates. So there's some things that I'm not familiar with that other technicians in different parts of the country would be familiar with and vice versa. I mean, one of the uh, one of the examples is the crankcase vent valve that we have on the cars that I work on. You know, for years, uh, General Motors uh, had a PCV valve, which was just basically a, a little metal cylinder about an inch and a half long, and it, and it had uh, it had a ball in it, and it had a hole in the middle of it, and it, the hole was smaller than the ball, so it didn't fall out. And there was a spring behind it, and a hose ran from that to the carburetor, and you put it in the valve cover, and when the crankcase pressure got too high, it pushed the ball against the spring, released the crankcase pressure into the uh, vacuum that is generated by the carburetor when the vehicle's running. And the system was extraordinarily efficient. It kept the pressure down, and it got rid of the uh, vapors that live in the crankcase by burning them again in the carburetor, okay? That was simple. But did the Germans do it that way? Nope, 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 nope. They're Germans. They have to do everything different. And uh, I don't know if, if they engineered this this way or if they thought about it for more than a second or two, but... One of the things they did was they made this thing called a cyclone separator. And it's a uh, it's a crankcase vent valve, what it's supposed to vent crankcase vent vapors. And what it does is it has a diaphragm in it with a spring behind it. So this has a somewhat similar look to it or a somewhat similar feel to it anyway. It doesn't look anything like a PCV valve. But what it does is it uh, the, when the pressure in a crankcase exceeds the pressure of the spring, that valve opens up and those vapors come into that unit and they swirl around because it's called a cyclone separator it makes a little cyclone and the cyclone effect separates the engine oil from the crankcase vapors which is a good thing and then it takes the rest of the vapors and other impurities and tries to send them back into the intake manifold to get burned Okay, sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I mean, I love the physical the physical way it's supposed to work. Okay, and there's a great deal of uh, different materials that are generated when you have an internal combustion engine. So this this thing called the crankcase vent valve, they bolt it to the engine and it sucks the vapors out and it separates all that shit and sends and sends some vapors up to the manifold and some and the engine oil and the other fluids back into the uh, crankcase and everybody's happy including the federal government because it's a very efficient way of doing it until until you experience temperatures that are below 0 degrees Celsius or better known in this country as 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, oddly enough, 
the temperature at which water freezes. Yeah. Because guess what? Water is one of the byproducts of combustion. And when it gets into this crankcase vent valve, sometimes there can be a lot of it for some reason or another. I'm not exactly sure why you get more in some cars than you do in others. I think it has something to do with the wear or maybe the oil being used or even the gasoline being used or just the climate it's being used in. But you can get these valves get a lot of water in them, which is fine as long as it's, you know, August July, June, you know, months like that. But when you get into those months with the BER on the end of them, you know, October, November, December, uh, these valves, if they have water in them, guess what they do? They freeze up. And when they freeze up, two things can happen. And neither one of them are fucking good. The first thing that can happen is if the, if the crankcase vent valve sticks closed, then the crankcase vapors have nowhere to go. And they build up. And because pistons are moving pretty quickly... That pressure builds up pretty quickly, too. And eventually, what will end up happening is you'll blow the valve cover right off the goddamn engine. And you might be thinking, holy shit, Uncle Jimmy, are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Nope, my dear listeners, I am not kidding you. I have fucking seen it with my own eyes. Valve covers shredded into pieces by the crankcase vent pressure. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't see it that often. I don't see it that often because usually this crankcase vent valve on these engines of the cars that I work on, usually they freeze open. And that situation is actually more deadly for your engine, okay? Because if you blow up a valve cover, you got to buy like $100, $200, $300 valve cover. It's, it's kind of expensive. And if you have a dealership do it, obviously the labor is expensive as well. And you could go used. It'd be all right. But uh, as, as long as you fix the problem when you change it because if you just bolt on another valve cover and you never change this separator you might as well make plans on putting another valve cover on it in a few minutes like i said it doesn't take very long okay but what happens is typically the crankcase vent valve freezes open and you get the same sort of effect that you get when you have a, a mountain dew from 7-eleven or a slurpee you stick a straw in there and you suck up, you know, the soda or the Slurpee. And that's the same thing that your car does when your crankcase vent valve sticks open. The intake manifold vacuum sucks up all the engine oil and pumps it straight into the engine because your engine's a big vacuum pump. And what you'll find is that if your engine sucks up enough oil, which it'll do pretty quickly, by the way, it just straight up hydrolocks the engine. Because as I told you before, when we were talking about brakes, can't squeeze a liquid. Put enough engine oil into a cylinder, try to move a piston up. That piston says, yeah, I can't go any farther. Unless, of course, you bend the connecting rod, which has been known to happen as well. I've seen that happen too. Uh, sometimes when these things hydrolock, they'll, uh, they'll blow oil out the tailpipe. That's always fun. Uh, they, they have a tendency to fill up the catalytic converter with oil. That's fun. Uh, they can bend connecting rods. Seen that happen. That's fun. Uh, sometimes you go in and you even clean out the oil that's in the in the cylinders, that's stopping it from from going up and down. Yeah, there's there's a specific way you want to do that, unless of course you don't like what color the walls are in your shop. Because if you turn over your engine after it was hydrolocked with the spark plugs out, you're going to be showering oil all over something. Or <clears throat> in my case, at one time, someone. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Anyway. 
the point I'm trying to illustrate here is that cars have gotten difficult to work on and there's intricacies between all of the cars. And if you're not familiar with them and you're trying to work on them yourselves, you can run into some serious problems. And so I really do suggest that you don't let DIYers do jobs themselves. If you have friends who like to try to do jobs themselves and they don't need you, just ask them if you can come over and watch. Just kind of supervise them, kind of keep an eye on them. You'd hate to have, you'd hate to see something go wrong. But at a previous shop that I used to work at, we actually kind of encouraged people to work on their own cars somewhat uh, because they were, seemed, at least to us, like they were a little more intelligent than your average uh, automobile owner, your average car driver, your average pilot. Um, but when we, sometimes we would get these cars in to actually work on them ourselves after the customers worked on them when we found out that uh, maybe our trust in them with their own car was a uh, little uh, short-sighted, to put it that way. <laughs> I've had conversations with people, and as a technician, this has happened. This has actually happened to me quite a few times. I've had conversations with people about their cars, and about maybe a quarter or a third of the way through a conversation with somebody, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this fucking guy that has no clue what the fuck he's talking about, and he's wrong. And sometimes you go in and you want to you want to tell them you want to say, no, you know what? That's really not how that works or really don't don't do that anymore. And, and if you talk to enough people, if you're outgoing and, and gregarious like I am and I have a lot of friends who are not mechanics, uh, not automotive people, and they'll tell me things that they either do or can do to their car and then they start going into detail because sometimes these people want to try to impress me which i'm never going to understand i'm not i don't even try to impress myself so i don't know why anybody else would try but uh, i find that these people are doing really horrendous shit to their car and that's the other thing that DIYers do is uh you know sometimes they they realize that they can't put a a chrome air cleaner on or a set of headers or you know wire in a piggyback tune into their engine computer so they stick to the easy stuff you know by sticking chrome shit all over it or hanging (laughs) hanging shit from the rear view mirror (laughs) or maybe putting in led bulbs which i i don't recommend that at all uh and i'll tell you why in a minute here but uh there's just so many other things that they can do to fuck their car up and still actually have it work and run and just making it look stupid and uh, th- th- I guess that stuff I can't, I don't condone that very much because I, I'm a purist. But if it's your car and you feel it necessary to, to, to do things to it, do external stuff to it that makes it look, well, let me just call a spade a spade. It makes it look fucking stupid. You know, do stuff to it that isn't going to affect the way it runs. And especially don't do stuff to it that is going to make it f- not stop. Okay, don't fuck with the brakes. Okay, if you're unsure about brakes, drop the tools, put the tools back, push the car out of the garage, and stop fucking with it and go see a professional. Or call somebody who knows what's up. You can watch YouTube videos on how to change brakes, and and, and maybe maybe, maybe they'll tell you how to do it right. Maybe you'll watch a video to the end where they tell you to pump the brake pedal after you change the pads before you drive through the fucking garage door. I can't even tell you. I mean, professionals, professional mechanics still do that. 
They forget to pump up the brakes, and the next thing they know, they got to buy a new toolbox. It's happened. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. We fuck up, too. Uh, we shouldn't, <laughs> especially stuff like that. Uh, definitely make sure you know what you're up to. Have a backup plan, for Christ's sakes. I mean, if you feel like you, you know, you feel like you got all the confidence in the world, you can go at a job and you start to get into it, and then it, it, it suddenly snowballs on you that, guess what, this is a lot fucking harder than I thought. Back up. Retreat, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. If you go into a job and for some reason or another you feel like you're in over your head, back up. Get out of there. Throw in the towel. Surrender. You, you still need to drive to work the next day or on Monday if you're working on your car on a weekend. You still need to drive it. You still need the brakes to work. You still want it to start and run and go. And if you keep moving forward and it doesn't want to go anymore after you're done with what you do, then you're just, you're fucked, right? Okay, so don't get fucked. Uh, let the pros come in. This I realize now as I'm doing this that this podcast has been more about for people who aren't technicians. There's no there's no defense that we have as technicians against DIYers. The only thing we can do is try to educate them as much as possible when we get the opportunity. The problem is, is we're not probably going to get the opportunity. They're going to talk to service advisors. Uh, who knows what the fuck they're going to say. Uh, probably whatever they say is wrong anyway. We're not going to get any kind of an opportunity to educate people. The only thing that we're going to get a chance to do as technicians, as people who work on cars professionally, is we're going to be the ones who come in and pick up the fucking pieces. We're going to be the ones who who get the car towed to us with the front end all smashed in and the car has no brakes because the customer worked on it. And you know what, even in these cases, and this happens, in these cases, a lot of times you'll find you're not going to get the whole story. You're not going to get the story. And it was like, well, you know, I was trying to do a brake fluid flush and uh, I must've got some air in the system. And when I took off to go to the store, I couldn't stop. And so I ran into the car in front of me and killed three people. I mean, it's that fucking simple. That's exactly how simple it could be to be deadly. And all because you thought you could do a brake fluid flush, and apparently you fucking can't. And you had to find out the hard way, okay? I, I actually, this actually did happen to a customer we had. This was back when I used to work in a parts store. This guy used to come off, come in all the time. I still remember his name. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I still remember his name. And he had a Ford pickup truck, and he had a Harley-Davidson. And he decided he was going to flush the brakes on his Ford truck, only he apparently didn't know fucking how to do it right because he ran straight over his Harley-Davidson with his fucking F-250. He was kind of a dick to us in the parts store as counter guys because he thought he was smarter than us. So we laughed, you know? It's like, oh, so you're not so fucking smart, are you? Asshole, but that that could have very easily have been my mom's car that he ran into, or my car, or maybe some kids walking home from school, walking their dog down the road with a kid in a stroller, and this guy has no fucking brakes because he's too fucking stupid to know that he's stupid. And I think that that's that's probably if I had to say, is there a point to this podcast which is gone all over the place, scattershot, and makes almost no sense if you listen to it the way it was recorded. Because I guarantee you it didn't make any sense to me when I was saying it. Um, that's got to be the main point here. That's got to be the main point here is that sometimes people are too stupid to know they're too stupid to work on their car. And uh, it's, it's annoying for us as professional mechanics because a lot of these guys who are too stupid to know they're too stupid think they're smarter than us, which is ridiculous because I don't go to the doctor and tell him he's wrong. 
I don't go to the doctor and tell him, hey, you know what? I had, my appendix was bad, so I took it out myself. That, that shit doesn't happen. I don't do that. No mechanic's going to do that. No mechanic's going to say, hey, you know what? I had a cold, so I self-medicated myself with Jim Beam. Well, okay, mechanics <laughs> mechanics are actually going to do that. What am I talking about? <laughs> but that's not a prescription. You don't need a prescription to buy Jim Beam. You just need an ID. That's all. Uh, you just have to make sure you didn't lose it in a flood. Um, so, boys and girls, if you get a chance to educate a DIYer, if you've got somebody who brings their car to you after they fucked it up, and, and it, it, just let them know. Say, look, it's it's tougher. It's tough. I have to go to school sometimes two and three times a year to, to keep up with the current stuff. And and they're bringing out new stuff every day. My job is getting harder and harder and harder to do. And uh, that means that it's monumentally and exponentially more difficult for you to try to replicate what I do as well. So let's not do that, okay? Let's let the pros take care of it. Um, they're not going to be receptive to that because when you start talking about bringing your car to a shop to somebody who's not a mechanic, all they hear is cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. It's like the beginning of that song Money by Pink Floyd. That's what they hear. They hear, oh, it's just going to cost me. It's going to cost me, you know. And I think to myself, it's a good thing that some stuff is really too tough for a DIYer to do. You know, like tires. Way too difficult for someone to do it yourself with tires. Way too difficult. So they have to go to somebody. Because believe me, if there was a way that they could do them at home and it wasn't all that entirely difficult, they would. And they'd fuck them up. And they'd be driving around on, on tires that are mounted backwards or the wrong tires or they wouldn't tighten up the lug nuts correctly or they'd have air pressures wrong. And, and honestly, they could, they could cause some serious fucking problems just by not doing the tires correctly. Okay? And we're not even talking about the brakes here. Because the brakes is a whole nother thing. You need to know what to lube. You need to know what needs to be cleaned. You need to know that the piston and the boot and the seal on the piston needs to be good. And if you see leakage, you need to know what to do. And if you've got a bleeder open, well, for Christ's sakes, you need you need to know why you have a bleeder, where it goes on the caliper when the caliper is installed in the car. I guess I, I've met mechanics who don't know that. And you need to know why... You do certain things a certain way when you're trying to bleed brakes. And if you're just changing the pads and you're moving the piston in, and I don't know why this works like this, but you have to pump up the brakes before you can go anywhere. Unless, of course, you want to drive through a fucking wall or a garage door or your toolbox, okay? Let's try to educate the, our DIY friends as much as possible. There really aren't going to be any good ones out there. It's, it's just think about the cars that you work on and what you need to know and realize that honestly if you're not in that business you don't know any of that shit you don't know one fucking thing they don't know one thing that you know and so it's going to be difficult for them to the hundredth power to do anything you do to a car all right let's be safe out there ladies and gentlemen let's uh fix those cars for these people let's let's encourage them not to do the diy thing especially when it comes to brakes Obviously, the easy stuff like putting wipers on, they can take care of that. But let them, let them have their moment of glory with that shit, okay? Well, let's, keep them, let's try to keep them from working on the brakes, okay? 
because they're not fucking easy. I don't care what the red-shirted ass says. All right? But that's enough of me. I've gone on for quite a while here, and Eric's going to have to trim out a bunch of garbage. And uh, I hope he enjoys success doing that. Anyway, this is your Uncle Jimmy signing off. Hit us up on social media stuff to let me know how we're doing. I know a lot more people are listening, and I love it. I love it. If if I'm hitting the mark, uh, I'm not really hearing about it. I must be. Uh, if I wasn't hitting the mark, I'd, I'd hear a bunch of people growling and howling about how stupid I am or about how I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, which is, you know, really actually pretty good criticism because they're not wrong. <laughs> all right. But I'm going to sign off before I say anything else about myself. All right. See ya.